Hey, party people, welcome to the Patrama Party, where we like to snort blow in the bathroom. And by blow, I mean sad childhood memories, just snorting them right up the nose. My name is Remy Ramirez, and I'm your host. And today we're talking about healing our relationship to boundaries. If you're anything like me, setting boundaries can feel fucking terrifying or sad or like you're in trouble or something. Basically, we're fucked up around boundaries around here, which is why I'm so excited to welcome therapist Jennifer Teplin onto the pod today to help us through this. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Oh my God. I'm so excited to have you. And you mentioned to me that you're a Sag like me. And I'm curious when, when you read about Sun and Sag, does it resonate? Do you feel Saggy? So I think I shared this with you, but I'm not well versed in it, but I really did love growing up, whether it was J14 magazine, People magazine, any of the companies that posted about it. I loved reading the descriptors, but I think I so wanted to be normal that I almost reworked who I was to fit into whatever they said was going to happen. So they could write something and I would think, oh, well, if I focus on this, that applies. Like I always wanted to fit the bill for what they described. I don't know that I actually authentically did. I also don't really know what it means to be saggy. Okay. First of all, that is the most amazing Sag assessment because, okay, <laughs> okay, we're going to do astrology corner just for a second. You're like, I'm now going to analyze your entire <laughs> sense of self. Well, up. Perfect. I am honestly so fascinated by that response because um, one thing you may not know about Sag is that they are a mutable sign. So there's uh, cardinal, mutable, and um, fixed. Sag is mutable, which means that we like to fit whatever environment you put us in. There you go. That's hilarious. So it's amazing that without even knowing that you were just like, yeah, I just kind of wanted to fit into my, to my Sag. I'm honestly super saggy and I can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Can't stop. Won't stop. And also, um, one thing that I think is so interesting about when I come across Sag therapists, So Sag rules the ninth house, which is the house of higher learning. It's the house of discovery, of expansion, of international travel. But basically it's like Sages want to know more. We're not comfortable just like kind of knowing the surface stuff. We want to know everything about something. And so it's really, but, but we don't like details. (laughs) So we like really big picture stuff. So it's really fascinating. I think um, Sag is a really good sign for therapy because there's so much knowledge involved and so much um, learning and big picture thinking, like what is the big picture of this person that makes this person who they are? Wow. I really do feel like I'm very saggy then. Yes. Turns out you're super saggy. So perfect. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm going to jump into my experience on this topic. Feel free to interject at any moment with like thoughts or insights or just like, you know, any variation of onomatopoeia or, you know, zone out and play Wordle. Totally fine either way. And at the end, I'll turn back to you for questions. How does that sound? 
Perfect. I can't wait to hear your story. Okay. Yay. Sweet. Okay. So boundaries are sort of my version of hell. (laughs) I don't like having to have conversations about them. I think it's the worst. And I also have gotten better at boundaries in the last few years. So I can speak to that progression as well. But I'll start with the boundary story that makes me laugh every time I think about it. So when I was probably like 20 or so, and my sister was 22, somewhere in that range, we went to a yoga class at the gym that was taught by this like very not Zen, like bodybuilder workout addict lady who like played techno and barked orders at us the whole time. And there was this one move (laughs) that she wanted the class to do where it was basically like you're in a plank position. Um, but instead of using our hands or our forearms to hold us up, which is kind of like a plank position, if you're not familiar, it's kind of like a push-up position. Um, instead of hands or forearms to hold us up, we were supposed to like literally use our foreheads. <laughs> so the music's super loud, not yoga at all. And she's yelling out what to do and walking around correcting everyone. And this move is insane, but I was like, yeah, I'm being ordered to do something. So I'm going to do it. And my face is fully fucking mushed into the ground, like nose, eyeballs, mouth, just mushed into the ground. Like if the ground had been a pane of glass from the other side, I would have looked like a person who ran into a window at like 80 miles an hour, just like fully smushed face. Meanwhile, my sister next to me is like, fuck, no, I'm not doing this. That's ridiculous. So she's got an Aries moon. I have a Libra moon. She has a Taurus rising. I have a Gemini rising. So she loves saying no to shit. Anyway, yoga teacher lady comes around to us and is barking at my sister. You know, she's like, you can do it. Let's see it. And my sister's literally, my sister literally says to her, she's like, no, I can't do it. And the lady goes, look at your sister. She's doing it. (laughs) And Q, my sister goes, yeah, look at her. She has no face. And the truth is, I was like, what the fuck is this yoga move? Like, this is not normal. But I did it anyway, because at the at the time, the idea of telling a person in authority that I wasn't going to do what they said, it just like did not, that just wasn't on my radar. So let's look at that. First, I'll say, I think there are lots of different childhood experiences or parenting styles that can lead um, someone to fear setting boundaries later in their lives. But I'll start with what's familiar to me to kind of illustrate one example of how this shit can go down. I've talked about this before, so I won't go into it too deep, but I was raised with parents who both struggle with various kinds of mental health issues. My mom has borderline personality and part of BPD is narcissism. And my dad is an addict and ranks pretty high on the narcissism scale as well. And as a result, I had a very erratic childhood, which as an adult manifested in anxious attachment style, which is characterized by really wanting love and connection and really fearing that love and connection will lead to abandonment. And for me, with the fear of being abandoned comes a fear of setting boundaries because my experience growing up was that if I set a boundary, my caregivers would either leave me or reject me by getting angry at me. And my supply to love and affection would therefore be cut off. One of my earliest memories of this was when I was probably three. My mom was getting me ready for preschool and she wanted me to wear something I really didn't want to wear. 
obviously I have no memory of what it was, but I do remember that I was just like, I, I was refusing to wear it. I was really adamant. I didn't want to wear it. And my mom said that if I didn't wear it, she was going to leave me and, and like literally leave me alone in the house, which of course terrified me. So I started bawling, which I think probably frustrated her. And she did. She left me. She left me on the floor of the living room crying, walked out the door, locked the door behind her and was outside for probably only a few minutes. But I was three. So those few minutes felt like an eternity. And plus, I genuinely thought during that time that I was being I was going to be left in perpetuity in this house where I was totally incapable of taking care of myself. And I was beyond panic, just like sobbing. So that's one example. But the message was really clear for me early on in my family. You are a child. You don't get to have boundaries. And as I got older, of course, that messaging with my family continued, but it became more complex as I became more complex as a human. And what would happen with my parents was if I said something like, hey, you know, when you did that, it really hurt my feelings. Both my parents would turn those moments to make me the villain in the situation. So with my dad, I remember one time I told him he'd really hurt my feelings about something, which was like essentially like the fact that you don't act like you love me really hurts my feelings. I think I was 17 at the time. And I was kind of like coming to this place of, um, I guess maybe realizing the scope of my childhood. And he turned around and said, well, you really hurt my feelings, uh, with when you wanted to hang out with your friends instead of, instead of like spend the night with your friend instead of come home. And by the end of the conversation, I was apologizing to him with my mom. It was similar. If I said like, Hey, when you did this, it really upset me. Her go-to response was you're attacking me. You're ungrateful for all that I've done for you. And I don't deserve this. So what ended up happening was that I was made to feel guilty when I set a boundary. It wasn't just that my boundary didn't matter, which it definitely didn't. It was also that I had harmed them by even alluding to a boundary, telling someone you hurt my feelings isn't exactly setting a boundary, but it's approaching one. And even that was just totally not acceptable in my family. So <laughs> clearly that didn't set me up to do well with boundaries as an adult. This hasn't happened since my twenties, but I have definitely slept with men. I didn't want to sleep with because I didn't want to hurt their feelings by saying no, or because they were pressuring me. And I didn't feel like I had real agency. I remember, um, in college one time I went back to a, to this guy's room and we were making out and he said, I'll get a condom. And I said, Oh no, I, you know, I don't want to have sex. And he said, well, what did you think you were doing coming to my room? And instead of saying, yeah, great question. Goodbye. I thought, Oh, there must be some kind of like college code that he knows about, but I don't. So I guess I have to sleep with him now. And that points to this sort of offshoot of the boundaries discussion. And that is having boundaries means trusting what's true for you, whether anyone else gets it or appreciates it or not. It's about knowing that you're safe to have your own truth, like knowing that in your body without needing anyone else's approval. When you were talked out of having boundaries as a child, either guilt tripped out of them or raged at when you tried to have them or abandoned and ignored when you tried to have them, what you learn as a child is, oh, the voice inside me that tells me that something is wrong is a voice I can't trust 
because it leads to my caretakers rejecting me in various ways. So I have to ignore that voice. In other words, and I'll speak from my own perspective now, I have experienced being filled with self-doubt as a result of not being allowed to have boundaries growing up. And that self-doubt led me to ignore warning signs that were right in front of me in dating, in friends, in work situations, and to put up with behavior that I knew in my gut wasn't okay. So here's a good example I want to bring up because in it, I knew in my gut that something wasn't okay. And I eventually leaned into that, but it was very tormenting for me. And that's another part of this discussion is that sometimes when we struggle with boundaries, it's because it feels so terrible to set them. And that's really confusing. Okay. So in this instance, I was in my twenties again, and I had been dating someone on and off for a couple of years, mostly off. It wasn't a good match. And in fact, the whole reason we started dating was because I had no boundaries. I wasn't attracted to this guy. We'd been friends for years and he, he really wanted to date me, but I felt like he was more of a brother to me. Anyway, in keeping with my lack of boundaries, I dated him anyway, and it was a mess because I wasn't really into him, but I wouldn't just say that, you know, cause I didn't want to hurt his feelings. Fast forward a couple very rocky years of this dating back and forth. And I went up to Davis, California, where he was going to school to visit him. And we were getting ready to meet up with his friends whom I'd never met before at a barbecue. And if you've ever been to Davis in the summer, it's like fucking 200 degrees. It's so hot. So I put on a tube top. They were very popular at the time. This was like Christina Aguilera time and a little like a line knee length skirt. I thought I looked super cute. And I was in the bathroom doing my makeup when Duder, we can call him, let's, let's call him Paul walks in, looks me up and down and says, is that what you're going to wear? And I said, yeah, why? And he said, I think you should wear the pants you had on the other day. And I was like, well, it is sweltering outside. Why would I wear pants? And finally, after a little hemming and hawing, he came out with it. He was like, I just don't want my friends to think you're a slut. And I was so angered by that. So, I mean, I was raging inside angry, but I fucking changed my clothes. I put the pants on and we got in the car and I just broke down crying and I cried and cried and cried. And finally I said, just take me back to your house and you go to the party. I can't stop crying. And I don't, I don't want to be around this. So because he was a fucking dick, he did. He took me back to his house and left me there all night. Didn't come back at all. It was my last night in town, by the way. And in the morning he came home, didn't say a word to me, drove me to the airport and dropped me off as if he was angry with me. That should have been the last time I ever spoke to that person again, but we became friends later down the line because I didn't have boundaries. And actually years later, he fucking, he started dating a woman who by all accounts seemed really sweet and great. And he called me and asked while he was dating her, if he could fly me out to meet up with him in San Jose for the weekend while he was on a business trip. And I said, yes, I didn't end up doing it. But on that phone call, I was too afraid to, to accuse him of what I knew he was doing, which was trying to cheat on his fucking girlfriend with me, which by the way, just to be clear, had I gone out there and met up with him, I would not have, I would not have slept with him or 
had any sexual interaction with him because I'm that's one line that I like, I'm just so staunchly against any form of cheating involvement because I've been cheated on so many times, but I, I agreed to go out there under the auspices of meeting up as friends, which what, what friend that you've slept with many times flies you, you know, it was ludicrous. Anyway, what I should have said was, this is really shady that you're trying to hang out with your ex on a business trip when you have a really great girlfriend waiting for you at home. Anyway, I, I could list examples all day long, especially from my teens and twenties of times I didn't have boundaries, but I won't. Hopefully the examples I've used are resonating. So briefly, before I talk about what has helped me with boundaries, I do also want to mention that the culture that we live in teaches women and femme folks that they're not allowed to have boundaries. That's, that's just part of the patriarchy. So even if you didn't grow up in a dysfunctional family, if you're a woman or femme person, the pressure to acquiesce and accommodate and betray yourself really could, could still easily become a learned behavior. And of course, part of white supremacy, supremacy, especially in this country with its history has been punishing people of color of whatever gender, should they try to assert healthy boundaries for themselves. So I think when we talk about these issues, it's important to name larger social forces at work that also have an impact. Okay, so what has helped me in this process of healing boundaries? I still have a lot to learn with this, but I will say that as I get older and more aware of my patterns, it's become easier and easier, which you know, it's not the same thing as saying it's easy, but easier to pay attention to what I feel and what's really true for me. This goes back to that self-doubt piece I talked about earlier that made it so hard to set boundaries in the first place. It's been a slow process of realizing that just because someone doesn't like that I feel a certain way doesn't mean that my feeling is wrong. If I feel like something isn't right for me, isn't in alignment, doesn't feel good, I can now slow down and hear that and say to myself, I have a right to that feeling. I don't have to justify it to anyone. And I have every right to act on behalf of that. I also have just learned that certain things are absolutely true for me. One is no one gets to yell at me or treat me with disrespect. Just like I don't yell at people or treat them disrespectfully. That one might seem obvious, but when you grow up around parents who yell and disrespect you, like who manipulate you, you know, all of these sort of um, dysfunctional behaviors, you conflate that behavior with love. So it gets really confusing as an adult. But now I know to say, hey, it's not okay to talk to me that way. And it's not okay to try to manipulate me with a guilt trip or whatever. And, and I will leave if those things become a part of this equation. I had to do this recently with someone I'd been working on a creative project with, and it was super uncomfortable for me. I mean, like sweating, anxiety provoking, like super emotionally overwhelmed. But on the other side of it, it felt really nice because I had my own back. So those are probably my two biggest pieces to this. Trusting my gut when it tells me something's not working for me. Speaking on behalf of that voice, no matter who gets mad or upset about it. And knowing what my bottom lines are, like yelling, lack of accountability, taking without giving back. These are some of the things that I, I won't stand for. Jennifer, how are you doing over there? I'm loving everything you're saying. And I literally have been taking notes because as you're talking, everything you're saying is hundred percent spot on. 
And I sit here and think to myself, how would I simply define a boundary? And I Mm. think you gave a great summary of it. But if I were to even boil it down simpler, it's when your comfort zone ends and someone else begins. And I think that it's so weird concept, but if you keep playing it off in your head, like where your needs and your comfort zone ends and you start doing it for someone else, like the example you gave about the guy in the condom or when you changed your pants, like your boundary actually may not have been crossed when he said, I don't want your friends to think my friends to think that you're a slut, right? That was rude. He's a total dick, but where your boundary was crossed was when you actively crossed your own boundary right. by changing and putting the pants on. And I think that this may sound mean. It's not mean it's empowering. No one is in charge of setting and upholding our boundaries besides ourselves. Exactly. And it's hard to say that because Sucks. obviously people cross our boundaries all the time, but it's not their responsibility to know exactly where our invisible line is all the time. It's right. our responsibility to let them know you don't have that dog collar on with the invisible fence. But if you did, it would be shocking you right now because you've wronged me. And I think that's what's so important. And when we can empower ourselves to realize, oh, a boundary is for me to recognize and for me to uphold. And if something's not working, I can say, fuck, you know, it gives you so much more control rather than waiting for someone to say, oh, you're right. Sorry, I forgot. Like it makes us very passive and makes us a victim when we're sitting and waiting for someone to give us permission or okay it. And if we can own it and realize how empowered we are once we become aware of the boundaries, even if it's uncomfortable, to me, that's the most liberating thing you could do for yourself. Oh, it's so good. Oh my God, Jennifer, yes. Right. And so, right, that's exactly the thing is that people will cross our boundaries all the time without knowing. And it is our job. Like we just have this very important job of being like, hey, this isn't okay with me. This doesn't work for me. And when you are raised in situations where people like, I don't think my parents were like, I'm going to do the exact thing that will make it so hard for her as an adult. To have I would boundaries. hope not. Right. Yeah. That would be a lot of forethought. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I think, I don't think I, probably parents just in general, that's just not what's on their mind, even when that's exactly what they're doing. So my, this is perfect. Cause it's a perfect segue into my first question, which is what are some of the different parenting styles that we may have experienced as children that lead us to struggle with boundaries as adults? So parenting styles is a very fun topic. People have different labels for it, different titles, et cetera. So I'm going to give you kind of the highbrow and I'll give you a quick summary on them. But to me, when I really focus on parenting styles, I think, were they passive or responsive? Were they demanding or had no expectations on us? And any combination of those um, four options, almost like a pun and swear or whatever it's called that you did uh-huh. in science class where you combine them all, gives us a different outcome. And I think what's important to realize is someone that had neglectful parents can absolutely go through that square and receive the message that they shouldn't have needs. When they have needs, it's wrong. That person also could and like, this is a one-off person, but there are, could say, fuck you, you guys were horrible. You didn't meet my needs, right? And you became that person as you grew up. But any of these outcomes could lead us to different 
ways of presenting, similar to how multiple children can live in the same household, be treated the same exact way and interpret it so starkly differently or come out with such different personalities. Mm -hmm. But if I were to generalize, because everyone loves a good generalization, (laughs) if your parenting style was permissive, so very responsive to your child, but not demanding. So not giving rules, not enforcing rules, maybe overindulging children and avoiding conflicts while you're giving your child a great childhood because they're kind of in control, you're not actually mimicking what a good boundary is. Mm. So it's not actually that you're teaching your children that they shouldn't have them or they're undeserving to have them. You yourself don't have boundaries. So how could your child learn that skill? Right, you don't see it model. Lovely, yeah, lovely childhood though. Nothing wrong with that childhood. But I think so often parents model the behavior for our children, right? Right. Even when you think back to like, what were the TV shows? And this is something I'll ask clients often if they don't have a lot of strong examples from you know childhood. What were the TV shows you surrounded yourself with? Were you watching shows where there were authoritative parents or were you watching shows where someone had no parents and, you know, it was like orphans running amok. Right. And I think people resonate so often, not only with parenting styles, but just what they saw around them. Mm. So a style that I think actually does lead to empowered children, children that know how to boundary set would be an authoritative parenting style. So it's very responsive, similar to the permissive, but also demanding. So they're going to solve problems together with their children. They're going to set clear rules and expectations and there's open communication. It may not be the most fun parent. It may not be the mom that's like throwing spaghetti at the wall and splattering artwork with you, but (laughs) they are supporting you, but they're also saying, no, this doesn't work. And I think that's great modeling of boundaries. The last two are a little more difficult. So neglectful, uh, minimal response, minimal demand. I think there are some people that would think, ooh, a childhood with no rules sounds great. But if you also think someone doesn't give a shit about you, right? it's probably the worst combination you could have. So this would be an uninvolved, an absent parent. And they really provide little nurture or guidance. So again, it's telling you that you don't really matter and it's not showing you the good example. Right. And the last parenting style um, is authoritarian. So minimal response, but very demanding. So a parent's not really meeting your needs, but they're having crazy expectations for you. This could be the kid that has 10 chores to do before they even get to school. And some of those chores are probably things kids shouldn't even have to be doing. Um, A great example would be if there's a kid in high school and they're in charge of waking up their siblings, washing their siblings, creating breakfast, making lunch, and then going to school and getting A's. How is that possible? And is that their responsibility? Um, so it's very parent driven, strict rules, strict punishment. Um, and it's really like a one way conversation. So mm. the parent may be sharing boundaries, but it's more not to be mean, but it's more of a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And so again, a child may not even realize that they could have an opinion or have a preference because no space is given to them. So mm. all of the different parenting styles, trust me, can lead to a fucked up person lead to a great person. I believe that so many people are kind of preset, but I think it's how much of a sponge are we? How much of our experience and the messages we receive from our parents are um, woven into our fabric or like the tapestry of how you see yourself? Oh my God. 
Yeah. That was a lot of information. No, but it's so clarifying and it's so helpful. And I, so, so right. So like the, the sweet spot is the supportive, um, and you're supporting and you're, you're modeling boundaries at the same time. That's yeah. That would be ideal. I think my parents fell somewhere towards, uh, the last two, <laughs> somewhere maybe in between. The I last kind two. of made that assumption. I wasn't going to say it without you saying it, Yeah, but yeah. it seems like it was a combo and I don't think anyone falls just into that sphere, Right. but I'm curious which aspects resonated with you. Yeah. So, um, definitely authoritative and definitely neglectful. And I think, but sometimes my mom was the fun mom, you know, um, who like, you know, she, there were no rules around what movies we could watch, like rated R, you know, whatever we could one time. Which she, was probably cool. Right. Right. For a time. Right. Like at the time I was like, this is really cool. Um, but yeah, the, the expectations were really high and, a, but for, in our family, the expectations were in part, like, I do remember one time I brought a B home when I was in fourth grade and my mom was like, why is this a B? Um, and in general, I did get straight A's. So there was, there were expectations that way, but a lot of the expectations were about, um, making sure our parents were number one emotionally. So, um, my mom, like we needed to take care of my mom's feelings. That was, that was the biggest expectation in the house. Which was probably a landmine. I mean, there's no rule book to the type of personality for either parent that you just described. I could imagine that one thing was great one day and the next day you did it and you were horrible. Exactly. So when you're walking on pins and needles 24 seven, how could you find security or comfort? Right. And that was really true with my dad. Like I mentioned, he was an addict. So people who have, who are, you know, the children of alcoholics or addicts, you never know what what's around the corner. You know, you never know what's going to get you in trouble. So yeah, there was definitely a lot of that, which has made it really hard to, yeah, to, to, to ever be able to say like, Hey, I feel uncomfortable with this. Like that, that was never the priority in the house, what the kids felt uncomfortable with. Absolutely. I can't imagine how difficult that was for you. Thanks, Jennifer. I appreciate that. Seriously. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, and I'm curious because maybe they're like, I don't want to have blind spots in this conversation, even though I'm sure I do. I'm curious if there are other underlying factors that lead to a fear of setting boundaries that, you know, maybe I'm not seeing. There are 5,000 reasons that people have difficulty setting boundaries. And I want to say to you, for anyone that loves learning about boundaries, there's actually a book that I sort of see as my boundaries Bible, and it's called Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free by Nancy Levin. Mm. So a lot of what I'm about to share with you Um, I literally have it sitting here next to me. I love it. It's like really my passion project, but a lot of what I'm sharing does come from concepts that she shares, but there are endless reasons why we would be afraid to set boundaries. To me, the most relatable ones are avoiding conflict. Mm -hmm. I think people think setting a boundary is confrontational when in reality, um, avoiding conflict is accepting long-term discomfort. So if I know something's not working for me, but I'm too afraid to say it, I'm going to live in discomfort for the foreseeable future. Right. Right. When in reality, setting a boundary leads to short-term discomfort. So you're going to say, no, you're going to say that doesn't work for me, or you're going to show it in your behavior. 
And we're going to be very afraid for what that person's reaction is, but not to be a bitch. If that person has a horrible reaction and they don't care about it, is that a person that you really want to surround yourself with? So can we be willing to have the short-term discomfort of setting the boundary over the long-term discomfort of avoiding this, you know, perceived conflict? Mm -hmm. I think also, and this goes to speaking about um, women and femme individuals, we're taught about self-sacrifice being a virtue. The person that gives to everyone um, seems to be seen in this beautiful light. And I always think about when you get on the airplane and they're going through that spiel and you're probably reflecting on the snacks or seeing what video they have playing, but they say in the off chance, there's no oxygen, air masks will drop, blah, 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 blah. And they say this great sentence, which is put on your mask before helping others. And they say it all the time. We all know it, right? We know all the tutorials, all the hand motions, but that's the key to setting a boundary. Like if you cannot help yourself, how could you help anyone else? And a visualization that Nancy Levin shares is pouring from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. So picture there's a faucet, you have your cute little cup. Um, If you take your cup and you just keep pouring to all these different people, you're left with an empty cup. And her visualization is if you fill up your own cup, you put your mask on first, you will have overflow and then you can pour the overflow to those around you. So I don't think there's anything wrong. And I think we need to remove and reduce the stigma that taking care of yourself makes you selfish or that being selfless is the key. Why do you want to be a doormat? No one respects the doormat. No one prioritizes the doormat. And I think that's the message we send ourselves is I don't matter. Or this is the worst one. I only matter if I'm of service to you. Right. Because then again, like I said earlier, we're then waiting for someone else to give us permission or we're giving up all of our control. My self image is based on you accepting what I'm offering you. And do we really want to be that out of control of it? Right. Um, A few other thoughts for you to numb out anger, sadness, we also delete joy and happiness. So like a common numbing technique would be excessive work, excessive drinking, excessive exercise, mindlessly internet shopping. All of these things are poor boundaries in some way. Like, right. Cause that's like that. So that's interesting because that's about not having boundaries with yourself. Totally. And that's to me is the best place to start because at least we know we're, I hope not going to reject ourselves. Right. And I think everything kind of starts within the home, if you will, in whatever we're doing, whatever we're showing ourselves, whatever we say we deserve is going to kind of trickle out. I always say how we do one thing is how we do most. So to me, the safest place to start is boundaries with yourself. Um, And I know I had shared with you before we started the podcast, you'd ask what I've been up to. And I said, I was so busy. And then I caveated that with so busy, basically doing nothing but really enjoying it. And that's a boundary that I set during the pandemic of, I learned to love the little thing, going for an hour car ride to the beach with my husband and getting Dunkin' Donuts on the way. That's now thrilling. Previously, that would have been an inconvenience. And if we start to get clear with ourselves on what works for us, we can then start sort of emulating it to perceived riskier scenarios, such as a boundary with another person. Right. Ugh. Oh, that's so good. And honestly, I've been having this thought a lot lately because I, I will feel like 
I go, I go straight to Instagram without even thinking about it. And then I look up and 45 minutes has passed and I'm like, okay, it's not that I don't want to be on Instagram at all. It's that I need to have some boundaries around this. Cause like, I haven't read a book. I mean, I just, I just finished a book that I started like six months ago. <laughs> oh my God. And also like, I always think before, during and after. So what are you doing before you go to the app? Like, are we bored? Are we curious? Mm. What's starting it? How are we feeling during it? Mm. Like, are we entertained? Are we just zoned out? And then how are you feeling after? And in my opinion, anything past five minutes on Instagram, I guarantee you're not feeling better after. I promise you. That is There's so just no way. Yeah. Well, I think I feel, I can feel like depleted by it. I'm not right. one of those people who feel, who does like the compare and despair. Um, I, I generally don't do that, but I, well, sometimes I get, sometimes I do that, but, but not really. It's more like, if I'm being honest, it's more a sense of loneliness that drives me there. And then I feel like I know what's going on in people's lives and that makes me feel connected, but, but it's, you're right. It's like, but at what cost and for how long, you know, like I can, I can kind of connect, you know, maybe for five minutes on Instagram and kind of see what people are up to and then go read my book instead of being on there for 45 minutes and, and going down some weird rabbit hole. And what type of connection are you valuing, right? Like, what would it be like if instead of 45 minutes, you spent 15 on Instagram and then you texted or called two or three people you actually cared about yeah. versus seeing what the masses are doing. Like to me, it's that quantity versus quality. And sometimes we want the quantity. Like when I am sitting in bed on a Sunday night, I want the quantity of what everyone did while I chose to sit home. Right. But like on a Tuesday night, I probably want the quality when it's like dark and cold in New York city. And I have 80 emails I'm not answering. Right. I probably want the one-off phone call with a friend. And I think you need to kind of ask yourself, what is it that I'm looking to get out of this given moment or this choice I'm making. Right. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. So good. Okay. Question for you. <laughs> One of many attachment styles. I, I think about attachment style a lot because I feel like it's helped me sort of navigate my own shit. Obviously it's not, it's in a different sort of category as boundaries, but um, do you see overlap between the two? Totally. I see overlap and I see separation. And I think I see, um, attachment styles and boundaries. I see a bridge that connects them, I think is the best way to describe it. So I'll kind of walk you through it. So attachment styles, I believe can be the lens we see while setting boundaries. Um, but boundary setting can also be based off of what we think we deserve. Um, which to me connects more to self-worth and self-esteem. So to me, the bridge would actually be attachments on the left side, self-worth, self-esteem, and the way we see ourselves is the bridge. And then I think boundary setting starts from there. Got so it. do I see a connection? A hundred percent. But I think that we have a little more control because we've had this experience. It's how do we digest it? And how do we allow that to inform what we do in the future? Mm -hmm. And I think up until a few years ago, people weren't discussing that how we saw ourselves really could be shifted if we chose to see a different narrative or rewrote our own narrative. So often the narrative's so fucked up, you can't rewrite it. Like some of the things you shared, you can't make that up. You can't erase it, but can you empower yourself and decide to be different 
and not, you know, follow whatever that typical path may have been. Does that make sense? So, yeah. So you're saying we don't have to, so the empowerment part is saying like, yes, I had this childhood and yes, um, I, I struggle with a fear of abandonment in love and I love and value myself and going forward, um, X, Y, Z actions in relationships from others are not okay. A hundred percent. And to me, if I boiled that down, replacing, but with, and Mm. like, you could say, I had all these experiences. It was really hard, but that's what makes it hard. Or like, that's what makes me the way I am. Instead, it could be, here's all of my experiences and I'm empowered as fuck and realize that I don't want to live that way. So here's how I'm doing it differently. Mm -hmm. And if we can shift those two elements, you again, start to feel liberated. So to me, shifting boundaries, shifting from what we experienced previously to now, I really like that word liberation really comes to mind and empowerment really comes to mind. And I think especially through the lens that you see the world, which I love, it's all about empowering ourselves and realizing what's unspoken and how can we start talking about it so that it holds less power. Mm. This is so good. This is so helpful. (laughs) Yes. Okay. hundred percent. And I also love the mantra of I'm empowered as fuck. Like yes, if you grew up in a, in a household where you truly were not empowered as fuck, repeating that to yourself. Like when I said that in my, when I repeated that in my mind just now, I totally felt a shift. I felt this Mm -hmm. just like, Ooh, yeah. Like I am, I, I, I'm not three. I'm not being left in the house alone. That was my experience, but it's not my experience now. And I, and I really am as powered as, as empowered as I say that I am. So if I say I'm empowered as fuck, then I am. Yes. And I just think it's taking control. And again, like we all have a story. We all have traumas. We all have different, you know, things we've experienced. It doesn't erase it, but if you can put it in your backpack, but put it not, you know, in the first zipper and the first zipper of the backpack is more how you fucking rock and how you're in control. And if your energy is able to focus there, you are going to start feeling more empowered and the ways you want to see yourself are going to overtake Mm-hmm. the ways that you were made to feel when you were younger, I believe. Yeah, right. It's a, pra- it's practice. It's like, it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. Oh man. Um, I also, I wanted to take a little space to kind of talk about the, what I mentioned earlier around cultural factors and you, you brought it up around women and femme folks kind of like um, feeling like they're supposed to be self-sacrificing and selfless. And we see that in stuff like the Virgin Mary, you know, she's just like, give, give, give. And like, that's kind of, that's how a mother is supposed to be. And, you know, all of that, a wife also, you know, Mm -hmm. like women kind of being the ones who are doing the house cleaning or whatever it is, taking care of the kids. It's like, I just saw a meme the other day where it was like, it showed a woman um, pushing a child on a swing. And it was like, yeah, this is just like, what women are supposed to do. And then it was like a guy pushing a child on the swing. And it was like, number one, dad. So great. Um, My friend has a five week old and literally yesterday told me that she asked her husband to babysit next weekend. (gasps) And she was like, that came out of my mouth. And then I threw up 
swallowed it back and rephrased to let him know that he should be available. And hearing you say that just totally brought me back there. And she's a very empowered, very strong woman, but you're right. It's, we see this, I'm going to coin it, um, unspoken expectation or invisible obligation. And it is just the narrative and the lens we see the world through, unfortunately. Yeah, it is so, it's so fucked. And then, and then I think also like I was kind of reflecting on what it's like for people of color in this country and how um, there's this, like, I think especially, you know, white, white cis men have a lot of um, room to express anger culturally, whereas like uh, black men, for example, don't black women um, or, or really sort of anyone who is a person of color, all of a sudden there is this stigma around them if they do, or if they, you know, have a or boundary. if they don't, they're so liberated or such mm. risk takers. It's like, no, no, I'm human. Thank right. you for recognizing it. And so I think you're right. One, there's not permission given, but if someone is able to, you know, break down and not follow those unspoken rules and expectations, they're a rebel without a cause. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> they're just a human, a fucking human. Normal. You're just uncomfortable with it and you don't see it often. So you see it as different. Mm. And I think that the more people of color, the more women, the more cis folk can start to not care about what the expectation is and start actually acting like a normal fucking human, like they should be allowed to without any judgments or expectations, like the 40 year old man sitting at the conference table, bitching someone out. I think the more normal it's going to become, but again, And this is, I'm saying this as a privileged white woman, but I think so many people are still waiting for permission to do it. And I understand why, because there can be so many negative outcomes. But again, how do we empower those individuals to take control? And that's something I don't have the answer to, but I do feel that there's a difference between being aware of it and actually implementing it. And how do we make it safe for those individuals to implement that change? Right. And I think actually um, part of this conversation, so I'm also, I'm white passing and I'm cisgendered. And thank you for bringing sexual and gender identity into it as well, because that's also a huge part mm-hmm. of this conversation. Um, the conversation is less about like, what do people of color and, and, you know, women and, um, non-binary folks, trans folks, whatever, what do they need to do in this, in this dynamic? But how do people privileged people need to change in yeah, order get the fuck out of the way? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's the conversation that like, I want to be hearing more about is like, well, how do we innate, like, what is our role in this and how do we, um, flip the script and, and create space for those people. And I think part of it is recognizing that we do have as white and white passing folks, we have a privilege and we also in that way have a responsibility to like open up space for people to, to express boundaries in ways that even maybe we have been sort of like, um, brainwashed really by the culture into thinking is like odd or off or whatever, just like changing how we see that. hundred percent. Beautifully said. How do you suggest we practice boundaries in relationship with people who don't want us to set boundaries? And I put in parentheses, 
parents, for example, which is something I'm experiencing at the moment. It's really, that's yeah, a good one. Um, okay. So reminder again, boundaries are where your comfort zone ends and someone else's begins. Um, other friendly reminders. We do not need someone's permission to set boundaries. We do not need someone to agree with our boundary. Um, they're our responsibility to set and uphold. So to me, of course, many people won't like the boundary you're setting because it no longer allows them to do everything they want to do. Um, so that's not new information, right? People mm -hmm. don't like being told, hey, I'm going to respect myself now and put a restriction on a behavior you've been doing for 10 years that's working for you, obviously. Um, that's like someone saying, you're going to buy this milk, but I'm going to charge you a little more for the milk, but it's the same milk you got last week. You're just going to pay an extra 50 cents. Who really would, at the most basic level, say, you know what? I was hoping you were going to charge me 50 more cents. I just love, <laughs> I love throwing money away, right? That's totally. not common. And yeah. especially when it comes to parents, why do they want to pay the extra dollar? Like they've never had to do it. So right. we have to have a little empathy, a little understanding. With that said, whether it's a parent, whether it's your best friend who you've had a dynamic for for the past 32 years, right. everyone should be malleable to change. And also if they know what's going to make you feel better, um, I think everyone should get behind that. So quick tip just to remember a boundary is not a demand. It's not an ultimatum. It's a statement of a need or it's a statement of a limitation. Mm -hmm. So it can be as simple as saying, if you do X, I will take care of myself by doing Y. Mm -hmm. um, when you speak to me like that, I feel disrespected. The next time it happens, I'm going to take care of myself by leaving the room. Mm -hmm. It can be as simple as that. Um, when you don't answer my calls, but then ask a favor of me makes me feel like shit. So moving forward, if you don't answer my calls and only reach out when you have a need, I may not satisfy it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's really important to have the language. So when you do X, it makes me feel Y and moving forward, I'm going to do Z. Um, and then I think it also is really important to realize that the boundary you're asking someone to uphold, I'm sure you're more than happy to uphold it for them as well. It's not as though you're asking these 100 things of someone. So I think it's really important to be okay with someone not loving it, but also to share with them, just as I expect this of you, I will do the same for you and we will both live happier and feel more comfortable. And when it comes to parents, I think it's also like parent specific to find out why they are opposed to whatever you're sharing. And- Often we don't have to explain our boundaries, but if it's someone we really care about, someone we don't want to cut out of our life, someone who you think is really not understanding it, I, I would have to hope that they would want you to feel comfortable and satisfied and safe. Right. I think anyone who you allow into your life should have those core values for you. And if that person doesn't, I ask you what you're doing with them. Right. Or if there's a way to limit the exposure I don't think you need to cut every human out of your life that can't uphold any boundary, but would I carve out a lot of space for someone that doesn't respect me and my needs? Probably not. And I think that's really important to realize just because you're available doesn't mean you have to fill it with someone. And if you can give yourself permission to make a choice of, do I want to expose myself to that today or not can also be very freeing. Oh, 
God, that is so helpful. And I can't thank you enough for creating kind of the language. Cause that's the thing that I think I struggle with is like in my mind, I know what my boundary is, but because I don't have a whole lot of practice, I mean, setting a boundary is a verbal exercise. You use language to do it, you know? And if you don't have practice with it, then it's literally a loss for words. It's like, I don't know how to say this, you know? So I super appreciate you creating some language around it. Um, And I feel like you answered a lot of this already, but I just, just to kind of tie things up, do you have any other thoughts to add around what it looks like to heal this fear of setting boundaries, like changes we can make in our lives or how we think about it or in the actions we take any of that. Totally. I think the biggest thing, like if someone wanted to make a shift in this moment, they're listening and they want to make a change. It would be shifting, setting boundaries from being selfish to being a sign of respect for yourself. I think that they have such a bad rap and they need a little bit of rebranding. So to see it as a sign of self-respect, um, And also to realize everyone around you is setting boundaries all the time. When someone says no, when someone says that doesn't work, that's a boundary. Are they labeling it, patting themselves on the back and going to talk to their therapist about it? Maybe, maybe not. I can't speak to that. I don't know them. But boundaries are being set all over the place. Boundaries as simple as setting your alarm. This is when I am going to allow myself to sleep until. And if we start to realize that we're actually setting these parameters all the time, We're not going to feel like such a novice Mm -hmm. in boundary setting. And I think that's super, super, super important. And also it doesn't have to necessarily be verbal. I almost think a um, behavioral boundary set is the strongest form because I think it's simpler to say, I don't want you to do that anymore. X, Y, Z. But if you were to just like leave the room or not answer that person's call and not even need to explain it as a boundary, as scary as that may feel, it might be easier. And for anyone that's really afraid of boundary setting, and I say this all my time, all the time to my clients, okay, we're going to set this boundary great. What's the worst case scenario, the best case scenario, and the most likely scenario? And if you actually outline them for yourself and give it a go, I I would say the worst case scenario happens 4% of the time. What, like what most likely like four, four percent. Okay. Rarely, rarely, rarely. And that's anything in life outside of boundaries, anything we're anxious about, afraid of, nervous about, what are we nervous about? What is the best case, the worst case, the most likely. And I would encourage someone keep a little journal and just outline it, keep a note in your phone and then circle back and see what the outcome was and how many most likelies do we have to see play out until we don't spend two hours obsessing over that worst case scenario. Right. Oh, I'm going to do this as soon as we get off. (laughs) It's really fun. It's going to feel so good. I promise. Oh my God. This has been such an amazing, mind-blowing conversation. Jennifer, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. Everything you shared has resonated, has been so, so, so helpful. And if people want to find you, how can they, how can they find you out there in, in the ethers? So my private practices website is manhattanwellness.org. But if anyone just wants kind of little tips, tricks, funny memes, things to roll your eyes at, our Instagram handle is manhattan.wellness. And I would say it's 30% motivational, 40% sarcastic, and another 30, which I think is left, are really like mental health tips. 
So we really try to make mental health care and therapy digestible and fun um, for those who join us. Amazing. Okay. Well, I'm obviously going to be following that. immediately. Uh, and if you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. Um, there is no the, that was just an oversight on my part. <laughs> Oops. So yeah, patramaparty at gmail.com. And I'm on Insta at Remy's R-E-M-E-E-Z. And uh, until next time, enjoy the party, baby. Bye.